Have you ever wanted to reach out to an expert, invite them for coffee and pick their brain? We have these conversations for you and with you. We speak to experts in different fields and bring you in to ask them your burning questions and delve deep into the topics that really matter to the younger generation today, finding inspiring tips, analyzing trends, and bridging generational gaps. This is The Talent Show, a new podcast series from FT Talent, a hub of innovation for the Financial Times, hosted by under-30s for the under-30s around the world. This first series is in partnership with Bocconi University, a leading higher education institution of business and managerial advancements. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is the guide you need to drive innovation and change. We are in Bologna, a medieval town in the north center of Italy. Near the Santo Stefano Church and Square, one of the most beautiful in the Bel Paese, a little garage door has a plaque with a trident on top, which reminds us we are at the founding spot of one of the most recognized Italian luxury vehicle manufacturers, Maserati. Can you hear it? That is the sound of a unique car engine from Bologna since 1914. It is a great honor to have here with us Davide Grasso, the CEO of Maserati, who is joining us today to discuss the future of the automotive industry and customer experience, and what it takes to be a leader today, from stepping into the unknown, learning from the past, and balancing confidence with humility while following your passion. Davide, Bocconi alumnos, welcome to the talent show. Well, thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here with you and to uh, chat a little bit about something that is near and dear to my heart. It can provide um, insights for the path ahead to our audience. I was in their shoes. I value immensely some uh, guest speakers we've had or some inputs and insights we had from uh, leaders that they were a little bit ahead of me and how valuable it was their insight. So I'm trying to um, provide the same. Again, imagine as if uh, we're on a path and I'm a little further ahead so I can tell at least my experience or where it's a little bit more slippery, where it's a little bit more pleasant. What's the surface? Is it rocky? Is it grass? So uh, just a chat to talk about these type of things. Thank you so much, Davide. And I guess you had maybe a fastest car. That's why you're ahead of us. And <laughs> maybe that car is a Maserati. So running Maserati, you have definitely to lead the building of cars and the bending of steel. My first question is about these intangible branding parts of building a strong brand, keeping the name of Maserati at the top. How you make sure basically the brand translates to cultures as well globally? Uh, it's a great question. Thank you uh, for asking. And, uh, you know, I was offered the opportunity to join Maserati. I absolutely love cars and I actually love Maserati. You know, I had my own questions and I have a very good friend of mine that he happens to be a strategic consultant. And he goes, well, David, you love that type of business. You love that brand. It's like flying a plane. At that time, I was the CEO of Converse. You've been a CEO and a successful one before. So, you know, it's like flying a plane. You go from maybe from a fighter jet to a cargo plane. And I thought it was a really good analogy. And, then, and that's what I did. In order to do that transition as a pilot of a plane or as a head of a company, the first question is, where do you add value? What is the brand about? And particularly brands which are dealing with customers 
that they find our customer every day. Not all brands, but most brands. The brand has to be confident enough to know what their values are and humble enough to understand how they can add value to their customer's life day in and day out. So you need to have this balance between confidence and humility. And as a leader, it's the same. I joined. The first 90 days were critical. Also, given the situation we were facing at that time, is like, where do I add value and where do I actually absorb value from the team? And how can I add value in a way that one plus one, me plus the team, makes three, not one, not two? I will never be able to argue about the technical elements of a software solution for the infotainment system with one of our engineers or software experts. Yet what I can actually help them is understanding how they can solve problems for the driver or for the passengers. I love that you made this very visual for us, even if, of course, we are on a podcast show. So I really hope that our listeners are picturing themselves maybe as a pilot, a confident pilot. How do you balance that confidence with humility? And how do you go and convince the engineers side, the scientific side, that you are bringing value as a leader, of course? So the first one is uh, how do you balance confidence and humility? At least for me, what really helped me was after I got my MBA, I left Italy and I started working abroad for a global company in Europe. So there were a lot of people from different nationalities and stuff like that. My career, my journey has brought me to uh, leading initiatives and teams in all five continents. <laughs> you really need to be flexible and you really need to be humble in the sense that, you know, you need to be learning. You need to be open-minded to learn without judging because leading a group of, uh, I mean, in the same company, and it was Nike for me, um, leading an Asia, a team in Asia Pacific was very different from leading a team in, at the headquarters in North America. Same brand, uh, same business, very different. But the result you want to have is the same. It's growth, you know, growth for the brand, the business, and the team. And so was for me. So I could actually uh, learn early on that as painful as it was, and there were moments of pain, and there are moments of pain in every day, but it's all about how you use uh, the knowledge that you amass every day. So in other words, uh, what makes you reach this balance uh, in a confident and humble way is having the awareness that you learn every day. It keeps you humble. It keeps you on your feet. If I wake up every morning and like say, I'm learning something today, I don't know if I'm going to like it, but I'm learning something today, then you stay pretty grounded. You don't have an answer for everything. If you have that approach every day for many days and many years in a row, you also have the confidence. You don't know everything, but you've seen a lot. And you can apply the learning from the past into something in the present or then pick some learning that is coming from somebody else in your team and help the team assemble this learning. So the collective learning is a multiple of the individual learnings, not a sum. How do you do this process of continuous learning that can be good tips for our listeners on how a leader doesn't stop learning every day of, apart from the human experience at the factory? I think part of it is part of our DNA. This is how we built. And most of it is actually how we nurture it. There's one word, it's curiosity. Trying to understand more, to see more. And so you need to be open, but also inquisitive. And I know that I had this since I was a little kid. I was, it was inherent. I learned to read because my mom was fed up that I was constantly asking what's there, what's there, what's written, what's written. 
You have cited your past work with NBA when you were at Nike. You, of course, built campaigns with Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. These were, you said, some of your career highlights. How you have been creating relationships and, of course, building trust with potentially as well intimidating star stakeholders out there? Uh, having um, a marketing and brand management background helps understanding what makes people tick and how you can engage with their life in a way that is constructive for them. So if you have that mindset, then you can sit across the table with Michael Jordan and really kind of focus, okay, what is that Michael is needing for his business, the Jordan brand, which was one of the first meetings I had as a CMO and I came met with Michael and he, he had some concerns. I'm a competitor, he's a competitor, we want to win. But the thing is to be open and understanding what is his focus. Sometimes when you have a high profile counterpart in your discussions or projects, the difficult thing is taking away the roles and the emotional impact that the roles have. You know, I find it very, very healthy and almost liberating for both sides to really focus, okay, what's at stake? What are we trying to do here? And build a common ground around that. Because at the end of the day, it's difficult that somebody would say no if you say, we're trying to win here. Let's define what winning is, and then let's start from there. I, I would uh, have a bit of a personal question for you. Many younger uh, listeners most of the time might feel a bit intimidated uh, about knowing what to wear in the workplace, especially now with this new hybrid world, a lot of rules changed. You have been coming, of course, from an athletic apparel industry in the US, and then you moved to an Italian luxury brand, as you were saying, as a bit of a different, you know, maybe rules and standards. I would love to know, how did you go about deciding how to dress the part of a C? of Maserati compared to what you did before at Nike? Uh, well, first of all, the, the clothes don't make the person, but help presenting the person and the personal character. So I don't want to overemphasize the role of the dressing code. So, I, you know, my first day at Nike, I show up and it's a European quarter. I'm just out of business school and I wear a jacket, like a sports coat and a tie and a pair of chinos. Um, so I show up and everybody around me was wearing a, a sweatshirt and t-shirts and hoodies and jeans and sneakers, of course. Of course I had dress shoes. It's important that we are who we are. So we need to be comfortable in our shoes, sending the right message about who you are, who you think you are. At Nike, I don't remember when I wore a shirt. You know, I always wore a t-shirt. I don't wear sneakers anymore. I love sneakers, but I don't wear sneakers anymore because the way I'm dressed now, sneakers would be a little bit off. So I wear them another time. What is your favorite uh, uh, Nike sneaker? Because I know you love them. Yeah, one of the reasons why I joined Nike is because I was a collector, like a crazy collector. I would get on a train, go to France. At that time, the Italian distributor wouldn't sell the shoes that I liked. So I, I went to France and... In Lyon, by the station, there was a shop and I would stack a few and then come back. That was before the, the, the sneaker heads were born. Personally, I'm very fond of the Kobe 9 because I was very emotionally attached to the birth of that project, as well as uh, some of the limited edition that we made. Tom Sachs' Mission to Mars one, which is something that I still wear because it's a shoe, the concept is a shoe that continues to be uh, worn and it shows the wearing. It's basically indestructible, but it shows that it's worn. It's very, very comfortable. Uh, the Jordans, uh, the number four, the number eight, the number 11, which is the best shoe ever designed in the history of the world. 
I can go on. One last question. What is the top speed that you reached on a Maserati? The top speed I reached uh, is far from being uh, the top speed. You know, we have, you, you have to legally at some point stop the speed, um, but we have the Trofeo version of the Ghibli is well over 300 kilometers an hour. And that's a sedan. Uh, you know, the MC20 can go far above that. On the track here in Marzaglia, I went 280, 276, 280. Oh, wow. Two eight, two seventy six actually to be precise. Kilometers, eh? wow. not, not miles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, did you feel the speed of light? I guess it, it narrows. It narrows. It narrows. But you know, it's it's um, actually you can do it very much in a safe way if you are taught how to do it, and it's a track. And you know, and if you have the car like the MC twenty, which uh, is the one that I drove when I hit that speed. We have two questions. That is one thing about the talent show that makes this podcast a bit different is that we are asking our younger career professionals and students from all over the world to submit some of our questions for leaders like you that join the show. So we have two questions for you today. The first one is coming from Eli Akili that is the following. Hello, my name is Eli. I participated in the Expo Kony Challenge in 2021. I'm from Finland and I'm originally from Congo and now I'm living in Switzerland and I'm working in the financial industry. My question to Davide Grasso is, how are you addressing the retention rate of young staff given the current market environment? Thank you and looking forward to hearing from you. Um, it's a great question. Thank you, Ali. At, at Maserati, we have a fairly young average age, not very different than the one uh, that a company like uh, Converse had or Nike has, very early 30s. And this is because when you talk about engineering and innovation, to stay current and to be able to kind of stay current with technologically from an innovation standpoint, from a go-to-market standpoint, from a product development standpoint, you need to be current. You need to continue to have connections with prime level institutions, schools, and then you need to have a mindset that allows you to be appealing for a new generation of employees that has different mindsets and different aspirations than they used to have 10 or 20 years ago. And I have to say, I mean, the fact that I joined Automotive tells you that actually coming from sports, there is vibrancy, there is a, a recognition of that. So you have to focus on the customer, understand what are the skill sets that you need to um, deliver on your customer needs. And we have a global customer. Global approach means for us inherently diversity. How do you attract, develop, and, and grow a generation of employees which are motivated and driven by a global approach, including diversity? Uh, I'm actually very excited about the changes we continue to make from hiring processes to developing processes and developing talent, moving talent, creating groups and projects and they make our brand, uh, as it relates to Maserati and Salantis as a mother company, uh, very, very appealing for new generations. Thanks, Davide. The second question is from Katerina. Hi, my name is Katerina, and I was a participant of the FT Talent Challenge in 2021. I'm originally from Greece, and I'm currently living in Athens. I just graduated and finished my economics degree, and I'm in parallel involved in automotive design and luxury business practices. My question to Mr. David Grasso is, 
How is Maserati maintaining its brand character and unique design, which is a characteristic one in the car design world, as we're all aware of, while trying to reach sustainability goals and have a complete electric range by 2030? How do you see the future of the existing models and how the disruptive engine sound, which customers love, will be maintained with the electrification? Thanks a lot, Mr. Grasso, and looking forward to hear from you. Grazie, Caterina. The customization of the, of the engine sound, it's a little bit more difficult to grant because that would uh, bastardize or play against the authenticity. So that's difficult. The customization experience, though, and we're actually working on that because you can create an experience as the car becomes more and more holistic, which is safer, more interacting, less frictional, uh, more performance, more, more performing. Part of the performance is also about the sound experience you have when you sit in the car and you play music. And, you know, we have a fantastic partnership with a really, really, really high-end uh, provider that will very soon allow us to customize the interior sound as you prefer or as I prefer. Okay, we can't wait to see that and uh, hopefully to experience that. So, Davide, thank you so much. I cannot say how much we appreciate how lovely has been this conversation. I'm really, you know, grateful for how open you have been with us and especially bringing that human side of being a leader. I think it's uh, a key takeaway of uh, this episode. So thank you so much, Davide. I really hope you enjoyed spending some time with us and this episode. So thank you. I can't wait to welcome you again at the Financial Times or any other FT Talent experiences. Thank you so much, Davide. Thank you, Virginia. It's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to chat with you and to engage with Financial Times. I hope it was a good use of your time and our listeners' times. And, uh, you know, so to the next one. Thank, Thank you. you. Up to the next. Bye, Davide. This has been The Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent team, Aya Al-Shihabi, Noor Hafez, and me, Virginia Stani. Our podcast producer is Todd Van Luling. Our editor and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa. Our video producer is Enrique Zecca. And our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time and keep listening. <laughs>